The following audio is from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org. If you have Bibles with you tonight, please open them up with me to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. As we started last week, uh, this Wednesday nights in the park, kind of the series that we'll be going through as we go through these next number of weeks, we've entitled it Encounters with Jesus, Encounters with Jesus. So we'll just be looking at different uh, situations in the Gospels where Jesus just had this reaction or encounter with individuals and how Jesus responded, how Jesus ministered, and and the radical miracles that he was able to do just in individual lives. We know of the sermons, we know of the big spectacular miracles, but so much of Jesus' life and ministry was just one-on-one with people, individual encounters. And that's the way he ministers to us. Jesus is still very personal in relationship to those whose hearts are open to him. And my hope is, as we look at these variety of encounters through the summer, that, you know, it'll just make Jesus a little more personal to you. Jesus will, you'll just see Jesus as a, as a man who walked among us and who revealed the face of God. And tonight we want to look at this encounter that Jesus has with the man of the tombs, the man of the tombs. We'll be picking up in a moment in verse 26, but let me just give you the setting. Now remember Jesus, he kind of based his ministry in a city called Capernaum. And this was a city on the Sea of Galilee. It's called the Sea of Galilee, but honestly, it's just a very large lake in the northern part of Israel. It's all fresh water, and this is the place where, of course, Peter and John had their fishing business, and and Jesus meeting with those guys, they based there in Capernaum, and then Jesus would travel to the various cities around that area. You can imagine it was a major fresh water supply, so there are a lot of cities just on the border of the Sea of Galilee, and uh, it's the River Jordan that feeds the Sea of Galilee, and then the River Jordan that exits out on the southern end. And Jesus is ministering there in that area, and he decides that he wants to go across the Sea of Galilee by boat to minister to a different area. And rather than walking, it's a pretty large lake, travel by boat would be the most convenient. In fact, he says in verse 22, now it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake, and they launched out. Now, we won't take the time to read, the, read it tonight, but this is the occasion when they went out and Jesus went down into the bottom of the boat to take a nap, was falling asleep, and this huge storm kind of rose up while they were en route. And the disciples had to wake him up. Don't you wor- aren't you worried about us? You're down here sleeping, Master. We're about to drown. He comes up. You remember, he speaks to the wind and the waves, commands them to be still, and then they sail on to the other side. What an amazing miracle in itself. And his disciples are just, you know, they've never seen anything quite like this. But that's the setting now as they, they come to arrive, and they're going to be greeted by this man who lives in the tombs. Look at it with me now in verse 26. Let's take an account. Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee, And when he stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out. 
He fell down before him and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had often seized him, and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles. And he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. And they, be- they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. Now a herd of many swine was feeding there on the mountain. So they begged him that he would permit them to enter them, and he permitted them. Then the demons went out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd ran, ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. When those who fed them saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. So Jesus arrives at this place across the the Sea of Galilee, and the moment he steps onto the shore, this demonically possessed man runs out to confront him. Now, the scripture says that he was naked and that he wasn't in his right mind. I mean, what a greeting party. I don't know if you've ever had a crazy naked man running at you to greet you. Wives, your, your husbands don't count, okay? So we're talking about something out in, 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 in the real world. <laughs> okay, my, my wife is offended by that remark. <laughs> it says that he lived in the tombs. Uh, the countryside there, tombs were caves in the rock, in the cliff, clefts of the rock there. And they tried to keep him under guard, but he broke out of his change. In fact, the Gospel of Mark tells us that no one could bind him. No one could tame him. The Gospel of Mark tells us a little bit more about this man. Always night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. This man was deeply troubled, and he is the first one that runs out to confront Jesus. Interesting that these unclean spirits within him knew who Jesus was. Jesus, Son of the Most High God, have you come to torment us? Because Jesus had immediately commanded the spirit to come out of him. And they ask, they have a dialogue with Jesus, don't send us to the abyss and instead send us into the herd of swine. Jesus permits this, and they run. Once they enter the swine, the pigs, they then run down in themselves into the lake and drown. And all the people watching this, those that were tending the herd, they run back up into the city to tell them what has gone on. Now, this is a pretty bizarre story. This is a pretty outrageous encounter, really, because it really, it reveals, it kind of pulls the veil back that there are spiritual realities that are unseen normally, spiritual dimension that is not normally visible, but on occasion, when in a situation like this, when Jesus, the Son of God, comes to a place that is really kind of become a stronghold of spiritual darkness, light and darkness confront And even what is in the spirit, normally unseen, becomes very visible. And I want to talk to you just a little bit about this spiritual dimension. 
The Bible teaches very clearly that there is a spiritual realm and that it is real. Jesus himself spoke often of spiritual things. We see things in the natural, but the Bible lets us know that there is another realm, a spiritual realm, not seen with the natural eye, but just as real, just as real, and in fact, in some cases, even more prominent. The Bible would tell us this in Ephesians 2, in verse 2, you don't need to turn, but let me quote some verses to you. The Apostle Paul, uh, he says this, that you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's a reference to the devil, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. The Apostle Paul saying, listen to the believers in Ephesus. At one time, all of us were living in the world, but we were being influenced by spiritual forces of darkness. Now, not all end up being demon-possessed as this man was. This is an extreme case. But Paul says all of us, as we were fulfilling our own sinful desires, we were also cooperating with spiritual forces. We may not have seen them, we may not have noticed them, but they were at work even as we were living out our own sinful desires and lusts. Paul would tell this also later in Ephesians chapter 6. I read this from the New Living Translation. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. There is a spiritual realm. We may not see it, and I know in our very kind of um, rational, scientific thinking and looking for natural explanation for everything and, and every occurrence, it, we, we tend to kind of numb ourselves to the reality that there are spiritual forces at work. We are spiritual beings as well as physical beings. Remember, we looked at last week, Jesus speaking to the woman of, at the well, and he said, God is what? Spirit. And he's looking for those who will worship him How? in spirit and in truth. There is a spiritual reality, and it's important that we understand it. Now, uh, we don't need to imagine that everything that goes on is the result of some kind of a demonic activity. All right, We're not to live like in this spooky fear that is there a demon behind every corner. They exist, but we are not called to live in fear of them. But they do, they are real, and I don't understand all the dynamic of this demon possession. But evidently, there are evil spirits that are actually looking to have not only influence, but if possible, to even take up residence and possess a physical body. They hate God, they hate man created in the image of God. You know, we had a, a men's fellowship here on Monday. And one of the gentlemen gave testimony, and he spoke about when he was trying to break out of some of his lifestyle habits. He had uh, drug use and addictions. He checked into a Christian rehab, 
And as they invited him in, the first night he was there sleeping in the bunk, he was awakened by this sense of a spiritual force waking him up, saying, you don't belong here, you don't belong here. A real encounter with something spiritual trying to draw him back into the bondage of his own way. I remember, I've shared this in time past, this was many years ago, I I was just maybe 19, 20 years old. I was in New York City, my dad grew up there, and him, my family, we were back visiting my grandfather who still lived there, and so we were just out kind of walking around in New York City, and we happened to visit through Chinatown. And we stopped outside a cigar shop. My dad and grandfather wanted to go in and shop cigars. So we're in Chinatown. My mom and I are just kind of standing there on the street. And this little Chinese woman begins to cross the street. And it's, it's a busy, you know, New York City, Manhattan. It's just busy with people everywhere. But this, this Chinese woman kind of has her eye on me. And she crosses the street and she begins to circle kind of in front of me on the sidewalk. And I kind of backed up against the wall of the shop, you know, wondering what is going on. And then she came over and she looked right at me. And in perfect English, I know who you are. You're not welcome here. The last one who came here, we hurt them. You need to get out of here. And I thought, wow, where's a herd of swine when you need it? (laughs) I didn't say a word. I mean, I, was, I just began to pray under my breath. I knew that there was some kind of a spiritual confrontation. She circled around, she mumbled to herself, and then off she went. My mom, who was standing there, Richard, do you think that woman was demon-possessed? I definitely think that woman was demon-possessed, and I'm glad she left. My point is this. These spiritual realities are real. Now, I think we need to have a balance We should not imagine that they do not exist. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So it's wrong to to just imagine that there are no spiritual forces at work, but it's also wrong to see demons everywhere. And I think that has been a problem in some cases, even in the Christian community, every kind of issue that anyone has, there is this demonic kind of response right? Somebody cuts you off in the in front, of, front of you on the freeway, and the, and the demon of road rage possessed me, and I need to have it cast out. No, that's just, you know, life. So we, we want to be careful to walk in balance, but I don't believe that demons can, in fact, possess born-again Christians. The Bible says that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. They may harass, they may intimidate with fear, anxiety, but Christians are filled with the Spirit of God not the spirit of of any evil demon. Now, not everyone ends up like this man that Jesus confronts. But I want to consider that this man is something of a case study, if you will. This is the end result of a life that has been completely given over to these spiritual forces of darkness. Now, not everyone involved in sin ends up like that, but let me say this. All sin ends up in some level of self-destruction and bondage. And that's the case that, uh, study that we can see, that this man's life did not begin this way, but he ended up this way, and it shows us something of the power of sin and its bondage as we walk in it without any spiritual light or help. That's the second thing. Not only are spiritual forces real, but I want to talk tonight a little bit about the bondage 
of sin. All have tasted the sting of sin, but this man, we see it in a, in a very real manifestation, the end result of it, the man of the tombs. We see that this sin is, this type of bondage is progressive. It says that this man had been in this condition for a long time. He did not begin there, but he ultimately ended up there. And this is often the way sin works in lives. It's not that we begin in bondage, but in time it ends up in bondage. I don't know what type of activity this man was engaged in. The Bible doesn't tell us how he opened himself up to these things. But there is this idea that, you know, you don't want to mess around with certain sins and any sin, but you don't want to start down a path that will lead you into a greater, deeper, deeper way of bondage. Oftentimes we think that we can handle it. We think we can change any time. We think that it's not that big a deal. But sin has a power, and it is progressive, and it wraps tighter. We see secondly here in this man of the tombs that his sin was very self-destructive. Self-destructed, I mean, he was naked. The ultimate shame, it's just he lost even his self-control, even his sense of normalcy. Sin begins to dement and, and change even logical, common-sense thinking. It begins to entangle us. You, you find yourself doing things you never imagined. I speak from experience, and many of you can share this testimony. You look, you look in the mirror one day, and you realize, my God, what has happened? How did I end up in this place? How did, how did I become entangled with these things that I would have never dreamed of? Imagine this man, naked, living in caves, Do you think he ever imagined that his life would be in that place? Very self-destructive, cutting himself with stones, loathing himself, maybe a sense of guilt or shame overwhelming him. You know, I've prayed with many moms and dads concerning their even junior high elementary school kids that are already starting to cut and do things that are self-destructive because there is this sense of loathing, and, the, and, it, and it manifests in self-destructive ways. We also notice that this man in the tombs lived in isolation. He lived in isolation. He was cut off from his community. And this is the fruit of sin and the will of Satan and darkness, to separate you from healthy Christian living and even healthy living in the community. You know, loneliness that leads to suicide. These are common things in our culture, and it's the result of the sin as it entangles the heart and drives us to destruction. There are many types of bondages. Addiction, lust. You know, you can have a bondage of unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart. You can be hurt and so deeply hurt that it, it causes a resentment that lodges in your heart like a root, and it just it, it steals your joy. It overwhelms you. You can, be, you can come under a sense of shame and condemnation, maybe for something that's been done, something that you have done, maybe a sin of the past. This can, these kinds of bondages can even lay hold of Christians, those who have been forgiven, those who have come to faith. 
but especially those who are outside the faith. How many imagine themselves to be really unreachable by the gospel. It's too late for me. Anybody ever heard that? I've heard that so many times. No, pastor, it's too late for me. You don't understand. That's a bondage, guilt, shame, imagining that you are out of the reach of even the grace and the mercy of God. You know, there's a musician named Bob Bennett, guy that has written songs. He's been around a long time. Uh, He happened to be playing here recently at a pastor's conference. My wife and I grew up hearing some of his music. We went in and listened to some of his music. It was kind of nostalgic for us. But he wrote a song many years ago, and and the title of it is Man of the Tombs. And I think he captures in his lyrics a little something of what might have been going on in this man's heart, this man of the tombs. Listen to this. Underneath this thing that I've become, a fading memory of flesh and blood. I curse the womb, I bless the grave, I've lost my heart, I cannot be saved. Like those who fear me, I'm afraid. Like those I've hurt, I can feel pain. Naked now before my sin, and these stones that cut against my skin. Some try to touch me, but no one can. For man of the tombs, I am. Sin can wrap itself so strongly into your life, and all of us have tasted it, that you can begin to lose hope and even imagine that you're reachable or touchable by Jesus. That had to be the condition of this man. But not this man alone. As I said, I meet people in this mindset And even amongst Christians, even amongst my brothers and sisters in Christ, there are some who are so bound up wrestling with things. I'm not saying they're demon-possessed, and not all are demon-possessed, but many are in bondage to these effects of sin and how they work and torment the mind and the soul. But the truth is, Jesus can still touch your life. Jesus can still set you free. Take a look with me. Back to our text. There is one who can touch you. Verse 35. Then they went out after the, the, the herdsmen went back and broadcast into the city what had happened. They came out to see what was going on. Verse 35. Then they went out to see what had happened and came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had departed sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. This third thing I'd like to speak to you about is the touch of Jesus. Is this uh, an amazing picture? First of all, the demons had departed. There is no force of darkness. There is no spiritual power. There is no habit or bondage or addiction that Jesus cannot break. These demons, though they were legion, though no men could bind this guy, though this man could not find any help of himself, one encounter with Jesus changed his life forever because the power of Jesus is stronger than any power of darkness that might come against you or me. Even those things that we've done to ourselves through sin, through, through our own shame and guilt, Jesus can set you free. Sin's power, habits, thoughts, nothing is beyond the hope of Jesus Christ who can set us free. 
The demons had departed, and they find him sitting at the feet of Jesus. Think of the mercy of Jesus. Again, we don't know all that went on in this man's life to bring him to this condition. But Jesus is there. Jesus not only sets him free from the demon power, but he welcomes him in fellowship. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus. It speaks of relationship. It speaks of mercy. It speaks of love. All is forgiven. All is made new. Jesus would ultimately die on the cross for all the sins of men, for all the shame and guilt. Jesus died on the cross. The sinless Son of God took on the sins of men. He paid the price for sin at the cross and rose from the dead in victory that you and I might live in hope and forgiveness and mercy. What we could not do ourselves, what we could never earn in our own strength, Jesus accomplished for us. This man's life was beyond hope. There was nothing that he could do for himself. There was nothing that anyone could do for him except try to keep him away and manage him. But Jesus came and sets him free. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus. How? Clothed and in his right mind. He's restored. His life has been given back to him. The love of Jesus has moved into his heart where there was nothing but darkness and and anger and and violence. Jesus has now filled his life. The beauty of this is that Jesus not only sets us free from the past, but he also restores us and gives us the hope of a future. This man is now seated and he's clothed And he's in his right mind. It's not just like Jesus solved what was behind him. Jesus also invites him to what's before him. That's the beauty of the gospel. Not just the the forgiveness of the past, but the hope of Christ in your future. Listen, you can be clothed and in your right mind. You don't have to live under the fear or the bondage of those things. God will give you the grace to move forward. It's in this man's, in this moment, it's as if this man never had this experience. All has been made new. Let me quote the next stanza from that Man of the Tombs song. Now this, is, this, this lyric speaks from the heart of Jesus. Underneath this thing that you've become, I see a man of flesh and blood. I give you life beyond the grave. I heal your heart. I come to save. No need to fear. Be not afraid. This man of sorrows knows your pain. I have come to take away your sin and bear its marks upon my skin. When no one can touch you, still I can. For son of God, I am. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is the beauty of an encounter with Jesus. When no one else can help, Jesus can. You're never beyond reach. You're never beyond the hope of the love of God. If you're a Christian tonight and you're struggling in some area of bondage, I'm not saying you're possessed by a demon. I don't believe that you can be, but you may be 
oppressed by your own sense of guilt, shame, some addiction, some habit you can't break. Listen, Jesus can set you free. Jesus can break these things as you surrender and give your life completely to him. If you don't know the Lord tonight, maybe you're here in the park and you're not a believer in Christ. And you might just be kind of casually taking in what's going on here tonight. And you might have imagined yourself, me, come to church on a Wednesday night. No, thank you. Never. (laughs) Would never happen. Well, that's why we came. The church came out to you in the park. You might imagine, listen, you might imagine that you're beyond the reach of God's grace and God's love. But you're not. We, we look at this man as maybe the most extreme case of someone who is in bondage and just lost his mind. And Jesus is able to heal him and to touch him. And we see that Jesus saves him. A couple more verses here and we'll finish tonight. Verse 36, they, they also who had seen it told them by what means he had been de- demon-possessed was healed. Then the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the Gadarenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear, and he got into the boat and returned. Imagine this. This crazy lunatic that's been living out in the caves, they come out, they see him sitting in his right mind, and they say, Jesus, you'd think they'd say, Jesus, come into the city, look what you've done. Instead, they say, oh, you got to leave. You need to get out of here. I'll talk about this response to Jesus. Jesus shakes up the status quo. Jesus kind of breaks what these people were accustomed to wide open. And it scares them. It's too much for them. They saw this man, and they saw it was, they knew there was something spiritually uh, active in this man's life. And now to have Jesus on the shore having even greater authority, it spooked them. Maybe they were upset about the, the loss of the, the herd of swine into the lake, and they thought this guy's going to be bad for business. Maybe they were just overwhelmed by the spiritual power that they imagined Jesus had. Maybe they just didn't want to shake the status quo. And unfortunately, I think that's still often a heart's response to Jesus. I'm not sure I want to shake up the status quo. I'm not sure I want that much change. I'd like to have some deliverance. I'd like to have some things change, but I don't know that I want to have Jesus in my city, Jesus in my heart, Jesus fully in my life. And people reject Christ simply because they're not willing to really embrace him in sincerity and in full measure. Many are afraid of giving up their own way. But I want to say that even some believers, we compartmentalize Jesus Jesus, you can, have, you can live in this side of the house, but I've got a couple rooms over here. Let's just, keep those, let's just keep those doors closed. And we imagine that we can have Jesus in one area of life and yet keep other areas private and to ourselves. But you can't really have Jesus in your heart compartmentalized that way. Because the light that moves into your life will eventually begin to shine into all that darkness. And you have to really respond to Jesus in, a, in full measure. You have to really say, Jesus, I want all of you in my heart and in my life.
We'll close here. Look at verse 38, how the man responds that was delivered. Now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. This man knew that Jesus and only Jesus had saved him. He had no desire for anyone but Jesus in his life. Jesus, I'm coming with you. I don't want to even live here anymore. I want to be with you. But Jesus says, no, go back and declare the great things that God has done for you. What a beautiful picture. This becomes kind of the first missionary, and his mission is what? Stay here. Stay here and declare the great things that God has done for you. Yeah, but I want to travel on the road with Jesus. I want to be a disciple. I want to, yeah, well, that may be for some. But for some, it's just, you know what? Just be right where you are and declare the great things that God has done for you. Be a witness for Jesus right where you are. This man didn't have any training. He didn't have any opportunity to get his theology worked out. I mean, he's just barely got the demons out of him. And Jesus, right away, go. Here's what you can do. He puts him right to work. Go tell people of what God has done for you. Now listen, we can all do that, can't we? We can all tell somebody what Jesus has done for us. Well, he obeyed, and it says he went throughout and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. He didn't know much, but he knew Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come to you tonight and we are, we are grateful for the record of this encounter with Jesus. This was a real man who had, whose life ended up in real bondage. And Lord, the truth is that all sin leads to bondage. All sin leads to self-destruction. All men have gone astray. All hearts are lost without the light of your love and your grace and your forgiveness. And this man got it in such full measure that it set him free. The demons departed. He was clothed and in his right mind sitting at the feet of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that this will speak to our hearts tonight. There may be some here that are believers, Christians, but still there are areas maybe of bondage, even of struggle in our heart. Maybe it's guilt and shame of past things. Maybe it's, this, it's, it's an addiction going on in, in our life right now. Maybe it's some unforgiveness, bitterness that's taken root and lodged in us, and it's just really putting us in chains. Lord, I pray tonight that you would set free those that know you, those that love you, that that they would again surrender these things to you and that you would break those things as they confess and acknowledge and receive from you the love, the grace, and the mercy that you have. There may be some here tonight who do not know the Lord. 
It may be that you do not have a relationship with Jesus, and maybe tonight this encounter with him is becoming a personal encounter for you. And you thought maybe you were beyond hope. You thought maybe you were out of reach, but the love of God is reaching out to you even now. And you know it's his spirit calling you, saying, come, come to me. I will set you free. I will cleanse you. I will forgive you. I can still touch you when no one else can. And I'd like to pray for you here tonight. And I'd like to ask for you to respond, some of you here tonight, if the Lord is speaking to you. We're going to close with some more music from our musicians. But before we do, I want to give opportunity if there's anyone here that needs to respond. Maybe you're here tonight and you do not know the Lord, but your heart has been touched by Jesus and you want to receive Christ. You want to come sit at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in your right mind. If that's who you are tonight, if that's what's going on in your life, I'm going to ask you to come and stand here before me right now. We're going to pray together. Anybody here tonight? Lord speaking to you. Come on. Amen. Anybody else? Amen. God bless you guys. We're going to pray for you in just a minute. Let some other, some other guys coming up too. Anyone else here tonight? Amen. Good to see you, brother. Amen. I'm going to give a moment. There may be some more that need to come. You thought you were beyond reach. You thought the love of God couldn't touch you, but he's touched you tonight, and you need to respond. He loves you. He welcomes you. Anyone else? All right, now I'm going to ask for those of you that may know the Lord, but you yourselves are also struggling in some area of bondage. I'm not, we're not going to be asking for any confessions here tonight. We're simply asking for honest hearts. Listen, if you're here tonight, you know the Lord, but you're, you're struggling, whether it's under guilt and condemnation of the past, whether it's some bitterness or root of unforgiveness that is lodged in your heart, whether it's some habit that you are unable to be set free. Tonight, Jesus wants to set you free. I'm asking you to come. Join these men that have come to receive Christ. Anybody here else here tonight, you need to come. This is part of what the Lord wants to meet, minister in your heart tonight. Amen. Any others? Come on. Just going to give the Lord a moment to minister to your hearts. I, my sense is there, there are some more that Lord's speaking to you. I'm going to pray. Anyone else, you need to come. Come now. Don't be ashamed. Come and let the Lord minister to your heart. Anyone else tonight? Come on, we'll wait for you. (laughs) The Lord loves you. Jesus wants to touch you. He wants to set you free. And there is... There is a step of faith, and that's what coming is. It's a step of faith. God will meet you. Just before we pray, last call, anybody else? God bless you guys and ladies for coming.
Let's pray together. Lord, I just want to thank you for the ministry of your word and the ministry of your Holy Spirit, the touch of Jesus that is still so alive and so powerful today. Jesus, we know that you love us. We know that you died on the cross for our sins. And we are here tonight, Lord, being honest before you. And Lord, for these hearts that are responding, maybe some for the first time, their prayer is, Jesus, please forgive me. Jesus, please set me free of my past. And Jesus, please clothe me. Set me in my right mind. Clothe me with your mercy and your forgiveness and your grace. Renew my mind with the truth of your love for me. And move into my heart in the person of the Holy Spirit and allow me to begin to live for you free and in victory that I might go from here and tell all the great things that God has done for me. And Lord, for these that are here that know you and that are here just honestly saying, God, I know you, but I still have areas in my heart that I just want to surrender completely to you. I feel as though I am still bound. And Lord, I can relate to that prayer. For many years, I felt bound up with guilt and shame of the past. Lord, whatever it is, whatever those issues are, you know, Holy Spirit, minister to these hearts. Our prayer is, God, we want to be completely surrendered to you, and we want to walk in the love and future that you have for us, and we want to put these things behind us, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Jesus, help us to declare the great things that you have done for us. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. We pray you have been blessed by this sermon. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org.